0: Thank you for joining the Leadership Podcast with me, Sim Dendi. It's great to have you with us. Ed and I are delighted to see the response to the first two episodes and so grateful to see so many of you joining the Leadership Podcast community on Facebook. We love all the questions you're sending them in. Keep them coming. We really want this podcast to be a practical tool for Christian leaders across the UK. So if you go to our website, theleadershippodcast.uk you can sign up for free for the leaders hub which is our members only area and where we are posting links and resources from the podcast plus bonus content the resources on there are already growing and this week we've launched a book list so if you're looking for the summer reading to do log in for free to the leaders hub for some of our suggestions including one from our special guest today And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening to this. And please do leave us a rating and a review. It only takes a couple of minutes, but it really helps us to get this podcast into the hands of those that will find it most useful. Leadership is challenging enough when things are going well, but when the challenges come, and yes, they will, how do we make sure we stay healthy? How do we keep our minds in a good place? In these first few episodes of The Leadership Podcast, we're exploring the challenges of leadership and our well-being. We have some amazing guests for you to listen to and learn from. Today's guest is a psychologist with a particular interest in the way our emotions affect us. She's passionate about helping people keep emotionally healthy in spite of what life throws at them and making sure they reach their full potential. She's a church leader, a speaker, an author, and also project leader of Headstrong, an online well-being space for young people, which was created in partnership between Mind and Soul Foundation and Youthscape. Dr. Kate Middleton spends a lot of her time explaining that she isn't married to Prince William, but does enjoy reading about her good dress sense in the newspapers. She lives in Hertfordshire with her husband, two children, and at last count, three cats. Thank you so much, Kate, for joining us on the podcast today.
1: No, my son is not a prince, daughter also not a princess, that's right. I am known as the other Kate Middleton in some circles.
0: Amazing. I did notice that Tom Holland, the theologian, also has on his biography that he is not an actor, as in the guy who plays Spider-Man. So maybe there's a theme there. But talking about names, I also noticed as well, Kate, you're part of the church called Zeo Church, which recently changed its name. And fascinating name. Tell us, why did you change your name uh, to Zio Church?
1: Yeah, so Zio is a church that has been in existence for a long time and just utterly passionate about connecting with people and speaking Jesus' message of real life into the community. And we had been praying into the name that we had. We used to be called, uh, named after the centre in which we met Uh, But we'd long since moved from that centre outgrown it. We were meeting in a school. And also it just felt like a moment. we had been praying for a long time, therefore, about should we be changing the name? And there was a point where it just felt that God was speaking something over us into a new season. And that was when through praying into it, we came across this word that actually both uh, Matt Sunfield who uh, is the senior pastor of the church and and I as well we'd both written books that related to that word that message the passage from Romans 12 that it's from which is this word zeo it, it means passion it's that sort of bubbling sense of fervency zeal the old tra- the old translation would put it that, that drives you in what you do and zeal is more than just the sort of bouncy happy sort of passion it's it's the thing that gets you up at six and the morning to put the chairs out. It's the thing that keeps you going. You know, we've just done a year in pandemic. It's the thing that keeps you going when life is really tough. You know, some of the people I know who exemplify it best are people who are continuing to pray for prayers that haven't been answered yet continuing to struggle against really tough stuff but just holding and nurturing this life of passionate faith and taking that message out to other people thinking of others ahead of themselves some of those amazing drives that just bring god's light and love into the community
0: i love that so talking about passion then where do you get the passion to become a church leader Who said to you one day, Kate, I think this is something you could do. Is it something you felt called to? Was it something you just kind of accidentally fell into? What's your leadership journey?
1: Yeah, that is a very interesting question. Funny enough, we were having a conversation yesterday, my husband and I, and somebody asked him if he was surprised that this is where I ended up, and, and we sort of laughed wryly. It definitely wasn't a journey I would ever have foreseen. So I didn't. I didn't grow up in a family of faith or in a Christian family. In fact, my sort of family of origin were fairly. Um, against church in fact at one point banned me from going my big teenage rebellion much to my current teenager's disbelief was that I used to sneak out of the house to go to church which is a bit backwards in the world that she lives in but um I did I became a Christian and joined the church because the only other kid in my village was the vicar's daughter when I was growing up And so I used to sit outside church and wait for her to come play. And eventually, a rainy day, her dad opened the door and said, listen, why don't you come in? And literally, my life changed from that moment. And my life was saved from that moment. And and I've been through things in life that I wouldn't have got through if I didn't have that faith perspective and that understanding about God. But if I'm honest, I always struggled with the church. I always felt like an outsider. It wasn't my culture. There's a lot that's weird in the church, there's weird language, there's sort of just weird acceptance of things that you just don't do and no one ever really says why and if you ask them it turns out most of them don't really know and there's sort of strange rituals and things that I'd never heard of and I found that hard and I found some of the conflict difficult you know I'm a psychologist now and, and I love the complexity of people. And there's nowhere like the church for bringing together a bunch of people from different backgrounds, different perspectives, but who really care about the things that they're passionate about. And that means that that they fire off each other. They do have conflict. They disagree. And um, when I was growing up in the church, I found that really, really hard. And I actually stopped going for a long time when I went off to university and as a, as a sort of older teen, young adult, I, I, I had a time of where the struggle for that just became a bit much but then when I met my husband he was a, a real church goer from a church family and so he persuaded me back in and then for me began a journey of, of of just a call that came from outside of myself so I was a medic then I was studying medicine. At university but i had this sense right from the start that i wasn't ever going to practice as a doctor which was strange and pretty much every year when i restarted you know the next academic year i would pray and say well should i leave like what should i be doing i felt like a bit of a fraud and every year god said no keep going you're doing great you know and there wasn't a sense that i needed to move until suddenly, one day when I was in the middle of my clinicals, I did just have this moment where, again, I prayed the prayer and God was like, yeah, actually, this is this is the time. So much to my parents, still not people of faith, horror. I, I walked away from my, my, uh, my academic qualification. I had a degree by then, but I obviously hadn't registered as a clinical doctor and stepped into the unknown, into this space of following God. And, and where that led me was to my passion, which had always been for psychology, for people, for understanding the way that we think, but also for releasing people's full potential, you know, particularly in the face of life's challenges and difficult times and stuff like hard emotions or um, ultimately mental and emotional illness as well. And so I retrained as a psychologist again, just seeking God. I did a PhD, came out with a doctorate. I'm making a very long story as short as I can here. Sim, and, um, and then ended up running a Christian charity and see, I am going to land here. Uh, we rented rooms from a church and I was working part time for that charity by then a long time rolling forward, married, had my first kid, my daughter, who's now about to turn 16. And, God started to speak to me about this wider calling about the church and I we were going to that church by then, which is now Zio Church. So we're talking terrifyingly about 18, 19 years ago. And I I ended up coming to work with that church on their community work and just developed this real passion. God, God awoke something in me for seeing the potential of the church as this amazing space where people are drawn together but have this security and love and community that that enables them to grow and take risks and become the 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 people that god's created them to be it's about releasing this amazing potential both of us as people but also of what god can do through us and um and so through that of so almost around the back door, I, I became a church leader and I don't think I ever really realised it. And there was a key moment I remember when I was introducing myself and I always used to say I'm a psychologist and a church leader. And there was one moment in particular I remember God stopping me and saying, no, you're you're a church leader who happens to be a psychologist. And so that that was a bit of a, of a pivotal life moment for me, I think, a recognition of something that I was carrying.
0: So, so you're greatly positioned as... Well, I think you are as both a practitioner, you're someone who leads, but you're also a psychologist. you have knowledge about our well-being and leadership. and we want to talk in this episode about how do we manage our well-being as a uh, leaders. but I mean, does that does that put you in an awkward position as well? because maybe do you overthink everything? Do you worry about stuff for lengthy amounts of time, or do you work for your gut or you know because your training is all from the psychological background? Do you sort of try to you see all the kind of stuff playing out and you're thinking, is this a spiritual dynamic? Is this a practical thing? Is this a interpersonal relationship issue? Uh, does it does it work well? Do they feed well together?
1: yeah it's interesting I think I've really grown in my understanding of those things so when I first came to the church I, I did used to find that quite difficult the sort of gap between my sort of secular clinical although not working in clinical spaces but that sort of practitioner's head and then the church leader head and I found some of the grayness of the church space at first really challenging and then increasingly really interesting and then moving into something really exciting because as a clinician everything's very black and white you know if you come to see me as a clinician I am very clearly your clinician I don't share of myself you you share of yourself to me and it's a very bounded space you're not going to walk into me at your mutual friend's you know 40th birthday party or you're not going to find me preaching at the next service or leading your prayer meeting or anything like that in church the boundaries are completely messed up all of those things are possible and so you know I would find things like my, my daughter who of course, um, I have a son now as well, who's um, nine. Um, they've grown up in the church, which I didn't. And that that was a crazy journey too, because people I was working with, their kids would invite my kids to come to birthday parties. This would never happen as a clinical psychologist or a secular psychologist. And so at first I, I did find that really quite hard, but I have become really excited by the potential and possibility of it. And And I think we have to be wise. It's one of the reasons why leadership in the church can be such a challenging space for us, particularly in terms of our energy, our wellness, our sort of emotional stability, our identity, and our understanding of ourselves. Because where that blurring happens, generally it's us giving out to other people who carry the weight and the demand of it. But for those people handled well, it can be absolutely incredible. And I've seen people thrive and become well and overcome things. In church spaces that they would never have been able to do without the blurring of that boundary, without knowing that they're loved and cared for not just as patients in a clinical relationship, but as something more. And that 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 elusive sense of church family, you know, what do we mean by that? But yeah. but the ability to be part of a bigger community who really does care for you and want the best for you and dream and pray the best into your life. That that's amazing.
0: I think you're, you're really touching on something really interesting from anyone who's employed as a church leader or plays a role within the church of leadership and then having to live in that space the boundaries are as you said messed up they are <laughs> they're they not clear are they there isn't a, a clear relationship between one another it's all overlapping and and i think around do my work when i see someone as part of my church work and i see them as a friend as part of a community that i'm also part of or as a leader to a member of a congregation and trying to work out in each space, or is it even the conversation takes place? You sometimes adapt your role or am I there as their boss? Because I actually employ them on my staff mm. team, but actually we, we like hanging out with them. They're great people and they'd come around to our house and they're like, are we having a meeting? Or are we having a barbecue? <laughs> what are we doing here? And and I, I think that's yes, right. And it's interesting. I think maybe leaders love to be in control. They love to know what's going to happen next. They They love to have a bit of a clear plan. They like to, I guess, Maybe it's a pride thing, but as a leader, you think, I wanna know what's happening ahead of everyone else. And that means that if I know what's gonna happen, I can then make good decisions about the future. Uh, but I just wondered your comments here really about that recent pandemic we've been through as leaders or going through as leaders, when you you know, you know can't control the future, you don't know what's gonna happen. Um, uh, you know, We were saying earlier saying that as we make plans, someone they get changed by outside influence, the government changed the rules just so we think we've got the best plan. And so, I just wonder if you've got any comments around the the impact on leaders and their well being when they're out of control.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And and I do think that much as we speak a narrative and sort of story in church leadership, we're all in this together, and, and we do, we sort of fight against people's tendency to want to put us on a platform, and you know that. The message of the Bible isn't about leaders being superior, and more brilliant than the people they lead. Thank goodness. But but there's inevitably a bit of that 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 plays into our culture just because of the secular culture that we understand. And um, I guess in most leadership scenarios, particularly pastorally, we we're used to speaking into other people's situations from a perspective that we're not in that situation. So we're giving advice. We're, you know, suggesting to people how to manage something that's difficult. We're maybe offering prayer for a circumstance. Pandemic, I think, certainly for me and most leaders I've spoken to has been uniquely challenging in that we are in the same storm that everybody else is in. So even for me as a psychologist, I've never encountered a scenario where I am sharing and advising people to use the same ticks and tips and tricks and routines and rhythms that I am having to put into place with my own self, with my own family. We're talking about the struggle to keep your head above water and not sink. And, and I'm doing this, I'm doing the same treading water that everybody else is doing. And, and that's, that's, really quite a hard challenge for us as leaders in terms of that security and around transparency you know vulnerability we talk we talk more now in the church about vulnerability which is great but i think pandemic did put us all into a place of unique vulnerability and yes because as you say we we frankly had no idea what was going on and and i don't know about about you but i i'm the sort of person in leadership and in life i i plan i like to see things coming and I, and i do like to sort of plan ahead and control to, to manage the likely difficulties and things that could come up. I, I like to feel like I've got most things covered on the whole and I didn't see pandemic coming at all. I look back now, I think we all played that game when we came around to the year's anniversary, didn't we? Of the, What was I doing a year ago? And sort of laughing at our ridiculous naivety and plans. And, and that's a real struggle. You know, what do you do when the world is suddenly turned upside down? And, and with things that we couldn't have possibly even comprehended before. I, not being able to do church for over a year in person for, for, for a lot of congregations, that was inconceivable. Not being able to send your children to school, those of us who've got school-aged children, um, that, that, that doesn't happen. You know, my son keeps asking me now, he says, Mommy, you know, w- what did you do when you was little and there was global pandemic? And I'm like, mate, we've never done this before. I have absolutely, you know, I'm making this up as I'm going along. And that, that's hard because as leaders, we feel a sense that we should know what we're doing. So, yeah, I think the, the challenges of trying to plan and control in a situation that was chaos and uncertain, but also the fact that we were managing our own our own struggles and, and that for many leaders, I think I, I've worked with leaders and supported leaders throughout the pandemic in all sorts of different environments and contexts. So particularly frontline NHS workers, teachers. Um, senior leaders and church leaders and I think church leaders are one of the groups that actually have had the toughest time and even now in in April when we're recording this you know as I say most churches are not or many churches are not able to meet even in person yet or we still can't sing we have no sense of when any of that normality will return it's really difficult.
0: Yeah it, it really is and I think like you say it's just a moving uh, decision-making process, nothing's fixed. If someone said, you're going to be in this place for 18 months, plan accordingly. We'd have all said, okay, we'll work that through. We'll, we'll come up with a system. We'll manage our resources, our staffing. But everything was just a few more weeks, a few more weeks, a few more weeks. And I wonder how much leaders have tried just to cope, to manage, to keep going, to plodding on. And I wonder how many leaders that came into a pandemic season already struggling, already you know on low, now they're running off fumes i just wonder how many you know are there we got we got some mm-hmm. hidden issues maybe uh, where we're trying to sort of keep people going because you you can't possibly fail because you're meant to be leading us through this storm so so i'm going to be yeah. strong and and i wonder how many leaders are really able to be honest when like yeah. you say everyone's facing similar challenges
1: and it's difficult because our cultural stories about leadership say that in order to be a bigger and better to be the biggest and best leader what you have to do is become more superhuman more brilliant you know like i remember uh, you know at one point all of my social media feeds i was getting adverts for those sort of apps where you can download audiobooks and then listen to them at- Two or three times the speed because only normal people listen to them at one times the speed. And I'm like, who does that? When do we as leaders suddenly become under so much pressure that we're supposed to plow our way through books at three times the normal human speed? That's bizarre. But that's what our culture says that we should be able to, you know, we don't need sleep. We can sit in ice cold baths to improve our function, because that's just the kind of leaders we are. But actually what pandemic did, if we ever were playing with those kind of misconceptions and illusions about leadership is, is many of us hit very, very real limitations. Limits to our capacity, as we've said, limits to our control, limits to our creativity as we're just trying to overcome problem after problem after problem. And, and you know, we think stress is, is all about distress so, you know, in theory, if we can handle things well enough and stay cool and calm, we can manage not to get stressed. But stress is just about demand. And in a situation where the change is constant and the uncertainty is always there, everybody's stress level rose. And, and human beings have a crisis point. We, we all have limits. And, and we did start to hit them. As leaders. And I think in, in, an, in an acute crisis, you can overcome those with a kind of sort of head down. Let's just get on with it. You know, focus. The the sense of adrenaline and stress, I think, kept a lot of people going at first. But those sorts of approaches have a shelf life because our energy starts to run out. And as you say, how many people are living on fumes now? Because actually we're trying to apply an acute short term strategy to a long term What's it, season yeah. in life my, my son talks about do, do you remember those days when we did used to go to church and it's yeah. like in his mind it's just like the olden days it's passed it's moved on we're in a new season now yeah. and so I think as we've hit those limits that's challenged us and I think that's been that's been very difficult I mean this season has been really difficult but there is an exciting And unexpected thing that we can find in that space of pressure and maybe even pain for some people, which is about the possibility, you know, if we're forced to really explore, what does it mean to be rooted and established in God? To find our identity and our security, our energy, not from our sort of human pot, but from something beyond ourselves then then we're tapping into something really exciting but how many of us have ever actually been in a place where we've had to do that as a matter of survival before and so that's true. interesting
0: yeah i remember when i when we first went into the pandemic as a leader i quite enjoyed it i was like we've now got a crisis we have to manage we got to make immediate decisions we have to you know pivots become a word we're going to make changes really quickly we're going to adapt and it's like exciting and we're going to you know make make things happen really quickly But after a few weeks of that, I remember thinking my present model doesn't work and I have to adjust. (laughs) And I remember I completely rearranged my whole diary. I had to restart. I had to create better routines, healthier routines, because I was just reacting to everything. And I had to create systems, and you know, I had to—I I actually got up earlier because I was getting up later and later. I was becoming uh, just a bit slower with everything, and I just thought I need to get a bit back on on top here. And so I remember, you know, make, making actually drawing out my diary. Although I had no appointments in my diary apart from Zoom calls, I went through <laughs> my diary and I rearranged everything. Do you remember when the, 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 the diary was blank? It was white, it was empty, and I went back and just went, "I've got a plan." And I planned my day out with what I didn't have, so I could be more effective. And I remember making it more of a thing and even making sleep, I remember you've mentioned this before, you said this phrase, I've loved this, that sleep is a superpower for leaders. Talk Mm. to us about that because I find that intriguing because most leaders, like you said earlier, they think they can live off less and do double the amount of everyone else and we've got to be superheroes. So you said sleep is a superpower. Tell us a bit more about your thinking and understanding around sleep.
1: Yeah, and I think some of these things that are so inherent to our needs as human beings, like like you say we've become so much more aware so this whole area of mental illness mental wellness I mean it's such a buzzword now isn't it all because of my mental health my daughter said the other day that I should get her out of an exam because she thinks it's bad for her mental health I was like yeah that's that's not going to cut it with school but I but I get what you mean it's like this whole space that we've become aware of because we've universally been pushed into a space where this has mattered it used I think most people used to think of emotional well-being and particularly emotional mental illness as this Sort of box that some people were in and most of us weren't because we were okay and again we we spoke into that space for other people who struggle but suddenly in pandemic you're in a place where we all suddenly start to find ourselves in a place where things become hard and and that can be really quite frightening the first time that you find yourself in that space Suddenly struggling, experiencing emotions bubbling to the surface or, or finding you can't sleep or that you can't focus or some, you know, some of the things that, that you've mentioned, some things that many people will have experienced. And in that, that circumstance, if we're not careful, we take what we're dealing with already and we, we pile on top of it I, either fear. So like, what, what is wrong with me? Have I changed? have i become ill as though it's a sort of binary state emotional and mental health isn't like that we're not either ill or well it's it's a line we go up and down and pandemic and life's challenges can push you into a zone where you're struggling that's what it is to be human but as leaders, in particular, we also pile guilt on. You know, if I was a better leader, I would handle this. We look at the podcasts, we look at the, you know, the the video of other people's online church services, and we think, well, look at them. Like they're not stumbling over their words. They're delivering these amazing sermons. They've read all those books. This is what they've spent their pandemic doing, and we feel guilty. And and I think recognizing our humanity in that, and 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 therefore having. Stepping out of those cycles and instead saying, what do I need to do to look after myself? You know, it's such a hard thing, but as, because as leaders, we are biased to think about other people and recognizing that in the midst of pandemic, one of the most important things you can do for other people is actually think about yourself because otherwise you will yourself go under and then you can't support all the other people you're supporting. So thinking about things like sleep what are your human needs? You know, we are designed, we we are created in the image of God, and, and we have needs and limitations which are frustrating to us in our culture and dynamic that says we're supposed to become superhuman. But if we follow a different model, if we follow Jesus' example of operating within our limitations of humans as, as humans then we can change the way that we think about those things. Mm -hmm. And I mean, one of the things that excites me most about the the Bible's story of leadership is that it turns our sort of culture on its head, that sort of superhuman, superhero-driven drive culture on its head and says that God's power and strength is released Mm -hmm. to its fullest extent, not through us becoming bigger and better and more superhuman, but through our humanity, our weakness, our willingness to be vulnerable and step out knowing that we have those limitations. So even Jesus who was God in a human body experienced the limitations of what it is to be human. He needed to sleep. He fell asleep in awkward places like on boats because he was exhausted and we need to recognize our need for that too. And the way that it's built into the functioning of the human mind and, you know, something like sleep, we could do a whole other session on, but, but it's, essential to your mind working and operating well it's the reset time in terms of your stress when your stress level drops so it helps you sustain yourself it's essential for things like memory and learning and creativity some of your most valuable time in every 24 hours is spent snoozing because it is the time when your brain is able to recharge um, and, and yet we, we do live in a culture that says sleeps for wimps, the less the better. Come on, drive yourself better. Have another cup of coffee. Do a bit more. Yeah. And so yeah. sometimes we, we do need to turn that on its
0: head. No, I, I love the idea of it being a reset opportunity. And as you say, often we're not very good at that. I remember years ago, I was on a plane. I first saw that video where they say, before you help someone else, you should put the mask on yourself before mm. you help other people. And I always struggled with that video thinking, no, you help other people first. And, but what you're suggesting is exactly that, that before you can help others, you need to help yourself. I mean, are there other tips you've got for leaders, things? I know you've mentioned before about the importance of routine. I loved your rock climbing analogy you used. I thought that was really helpful to me. But are there tips you'd give to leaders who go, I'm trying to exist in this complex space?
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, for pandemic, In each season, there's been a different challenge. So like you say, at first, the challenge was just the utter loss of all of our rhythms and routines. And your brain uses rhythm and routine to keep your stress level low. So like you say, it's like climbing a rock face where you know where all the handholds are. You don't have to think about it because it's just something you do every day. That's your rhythm and routine. But pandemic is like trying to climb a rock face and there are no handholds. Um, and, and there are new boulders every day and the minute you've planned a route it changes or there's a handhold you're not allowed to use anymore the demand on your mind is just raised each time so the more that we can find new rhythms and new routines and try and hold some kind of consistency and constancy in those spaces the more that helped but as time goes on what our challenge has become is is about how do we move from that sort of acute sort of crisis management style to something that's going to sustain longer term and so i think the two main challenges around there are around how we manage our emotions and and the processing demand of a season like this and then how we manage fatigue so if if we think about the emotional challenge first in acute stress you you don't you don't allow yourself to respond emotionally because there isn't time and as you you said sim the adrenaline and the excitement of the moment that need to make quick decisions you automatically suppress your emotions and and just get on with it. And you're easily distracted by all the things that you need to overcome and do. Over time though, two things happen. The the first is that the drive and the need to to actually give those emotions some headspace becomes stronger. Emotions are your brain's way of signaling to you that something's going on that you do need to pay attention to. You need to process, you need to think about. It might have implications. You might need to do something. So much of pandemic, has challenged not just the practical every day and those little irritations of how we do things and things we can't do, but the big foundations. Who do you trust? What's important? How secure are you? Can you keep your family and your loved ones safe? These are really big things. So the, the emotions that your brain is triggering are trying to get you to figure out the implications of those things. And so they've grown, the sort of drive to deal with those has grown. Emotions don't go away if you ignore them. Their job is to get your attention. And then the second is because suppressing your emotions is tiring and we've in general become tired, we just get less good at it. So they start to bubble to the surface at awkward moments. And you know, people are so prickly at the moment, aren't they? I mean, and a particular phases through pandemic, I, I, I'm a big biker, I cycle all the time. And I don't think my cycling has been worse through pandemic but I have never been yelled at by more people when I'm cycling on the roads. And and for, for, for me as a leader, for so many I'm speaking to as well, we're also aware that we are emotionally just less calm and controlled versions. Of ourselves, I don't know. If I do, I'm sure that's not you at all. But for me, I am like shouty lady at home sometimes, and like my tolerance is zero. Like right now in pandemic, I was saying to my husband the other day. Like, why, why would you load the dishwasher wrong? Like, are you trying to push me over an edge with all the things I'm holding? Like, I just I cannot handle this right now. Please put the knives the right way round. And it's just like, where did my tolerance go? And and I think we've we've all got to that point. And it's like trying to hold a beach ball under the water remember the days when you went on holiday and so you got to swim in swimming pools and stuff. But so it takes effort to hold it under, but also more and more, it just pops up. And so emotions become problematic, they become difficult and that can feed that fear and guilt. So what we need to do actually is make time, make space, process things, pray, chat with friends. Maybe for some of us, if we've had really difficult stuff to deal with, even create therapeutic spaces or really good boundary time. So that's been really important. And then the second thing I would think of, which is just, it's what everybody's talking about now, is what we call cognitive fatigue, which is just that, to be frank, your brain needs a break. We we are all so tired. And and we might be physically tired as well. Some of us are, some of us aren't. It comes comes and goes, doesn't it? Um, But your brain is really tired. It's tired because of the relentless demand. It's also tired because of the monotony and the lack of stimulation. And that actually affects the way that your mind functions. So people are noticing things just not quite working the way they normally do. Your memory's just not quite as reliable as normal. I was on the, on the door doing track and trace at church on Sunday and half the people who came, I know their name, but the minute I saw them, it went out of my head. So i'm having to ask people their names who i know i know and they know i know them it's ridiculous but my brain is just so tired it's very hard to be creative sometimes it's incredibly hard to focus to think clearly there's a there's a a a phenomenon called tip of your tongue syndrome which is when you're trying to think of a word and you know you know it but you just can't think of it so that's been documented as becoming increasingly common so our brains are fatigued. And right now we're in a catch 22 because we're starting to be released. We can go out and do more and we want to do it. We want to see people, we want to socialize. So do the people in our churches. But at the same time, your brain is torn because it also really, really wants to go and sleep for quite a long time and and possibly stay away from people and just get a a break from this relentless demand. So so we're we're torn between those two things and having to make good decisions about how we do re-entry and trying to return to normal. And that's a bit of a balance.
0: I love the fact that tip of the tongue is a syndrome. I just thought it was me that had those words as a communicator, trying to think, what is that word that will really impress people, but I can't articulate it right now. And it's it's actually a syndrome, it's not just uh, old age.
1: It is, and no, you have not just aged about 20 years in a year. It is just that your brain is really tired. So I I hope that's a relief to some people listening. Hopefully it will return to normal (laughs) and our minds will become more dependable than they currently are wonderful i mean i'm having to write everything down i don't know about you if i don't write something down on paper i i will lose it, it
0: won't the other happen. the
1: other day i i suddenly thought to someone i had to text so i got my phone out of my back pocket by the time i got it from back pocket to hand i couldn't remember why i'd got it out of my back pocket it's like a, a new extreme of the going upstairs and then forgetting what you went up for yes i can't I even hold regularly. a thought in my head for long enough to get my phone out of my pocket
0: oh i, I get like one step further okay no. I, I get my phone in my hand because I'm going to look up an address or I'm going to message somebody and then I get sidetracked by another notification and then I forget what I was meant to be doing in the first place
1: oh yeah for sure
0: and, and 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 talking about phones and the online space I mean this becomes such a useful tool for leaders and someone described it as leading via remote control there's churches we're sort of sitting there on our sofas you know kind of telling the church where we're going without actually seeing anybody but in the online space yeah what advice do you give To leaders you know we want to communicate effectively but there's so much potential we've seen you know angry social media where you say something with good intent but it gets misunderstood you know the nuance of person-to-person conversations however good you are on zoom or email or you know kind of text you're still gonna get misunderstood how do we protect our minds and our well-being as leaders um, but still use the online space wisely
1: yeah, and I think it's been one of the really good things to come out of pandemic. And and it, I, I feel I've grown already that I'm able to say that, because about three or four months ago, somebody wanted to talk to me about good things that have come out of pandemic. It used to make me really cross because I just didn't want to admit anything good had come out of pandemic. But I do think it's been really good. Our push to use online spaces more, certainly to online church. You know, I was I've always been passionate about this this huge and amazing group of people who are just not able to access sort of in-person church for various reasons, long-term illness or the the dynamics of family life or shift work or whatever it is. And it's brilliant to have been sort of forced to move into that space as church leaders, although it's been challenging. And, And I think the next season of how we balance that with returning to something more normal, hopefully will be really interesting. But because there is a but what we need to recognize is for us as leaders but also for other people some of the demands and limitations of our online space so that is about how we connect as human beings there is a form of connection that can happen online and it and in some conversations that slight distance and detachment can actually help people because it's easier to share things that are very painful or difficult to talk about. Although I'll mention that in a minute and another, from another perspective. But we do need to recognize there are limitations. You know, in a normal conversation, your brain is doing so much that you don't realize. It's, it's spotting the tiny little cues of emotion in people's face. It's looking at how they're responding to you. Simple things like who is actually talking Talking, if you're in a room full of people. You do without thinking. You don't do that thing on Zoom where someone starts talking and you can't like, who even is this? I can't recognize their voice and the little box around the screen has failed to light up and alert me to who's speaking. And you spend the first three senses trying to work out whose voice it even is. All of those things are extra demand on your brain. So it is tiring. And, and the kind of dissonance that, that we get because on the one hand, it feels like a normal conversation, but on the other hand, it really isn't. On the one hand, it feels like you're with people. On the other hand, you're actually on your own in your study slash living room slash kitchen, wherever you are. That's that's tiring for your mind too. So we need to recognize there's a demand on the people doing the comms, but also that there are some limitations to it. The potential for miscommunication is so high. We have to be really, really careful. And for people struggling or feeling left out or you know all the things 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 that are a part of all of the challenges of sort of human communication and relationships are extra difficult yeah. when we're online. My, um, my
0: children laugh at me because when I write a, a tweet or a message online, I write it, then I rewrite it again, then I rewrite it again. Because I think about what if that person read it, how they would understand mm. it? What if that person, oh, I've not mentioned and thanked those people. So I might leave someone out. So by the time I've overthought it, I mean, the, the time has gone. <laughs> and my kids like, just, just message just do it. It's fine. I'm thinking, no, what if people misunderstand me and I can almost
1: yeah and it's interesting I think online comms quite often we're a sort of exaggerated version of the person we would be in normal life. So the things that we might normally do just become stronger. So the more of an internal thinker you are, the more you overthink things because you have the chance to, and, and you can make notes or write it out beforehand or, as you say, word it really carefully. But there's also a really interesting space, particularly people who are a bit more impulsive, a bit more external in their thinking style, that's been recognised. It's almost like a sort of road rage type phenomenon. And it's, it's really sort of early discussions looking at this um but but which is about how people's boundaries seem to be released when they're on online comms particularly video calling things like this zoom meetings where they'll basically say things that they probably wouldn't say in person and and that might be sharing something that makes them too vulnerable so our need as leaders to be aware of that the, the possibility we might have to step in and pause someone our our need to not just be thinking about our own reactions but thinking about how is this going to play out for the person who's speaking so that that's hugely complex if you're if you've ever had to to lead or chair a meeting or prayer meeting or you know a home group session or um some of the courses brilliant courses that are going around that are looking into some quite complex topics it it's very demanding for the leaders but but it is also so so it could be an oversharing thing or it could be just a bit like a sort of road race thing it's just the the impulsivity of an emotional moment, saying something you perhaps shouldn't do, getting frustrated and and letting that stuff rip. And like you say, I think we do see that thing in social media spaces too. People who are pushed to the extremes of their opinion and their views. And what we tend to see spoken out in those spaces are very strong, quite binary perspectives on a a debate or on a problem. Um, and, And the differences between those can then become magnified and feel just impossible to bridge. Whereas in normal conversation, a sort of reconciliatory um, perspective would be much easier to take. So, so there's, there's great sides to online comms. But like everything, we have to hold both. I think in life, very few, we, we like clarity as human beings. We want things either to be good or bad. And most of them are somewhere in the middle. And I think online comms is just another example of that.
0: In that place of clarity, here's here's my final question for you, because you've given some amazing advice today for those listening. Uh, But in this podcast, we say that when leaders get better, everyone wins. So what final piece of advice, if you could give people who are listening a final piece of advice, they want to get better in their leadership, what would you say to them?
1: I think I would share a little bit of something that's been a real journey for me in the last year, which is about our identity as people and as leaders. And I think it's such an interesting space for anyone in leadership, but particularly in church leadership because of the public nature of the role, but also because of our 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 understanding both because of our passion for this but also because it is a spiritual calling this is more than a job it is part of your identity I don't just do church leadership as a job I am called to lead God's church to love it to nurture it to grow it to care for those people and so I think there's some really good reasons why our understanding of our identity it starts to overlap with our understanding of ourselves as leaders but ultimately, the truth is that our identity is secure in Christ. And, and we sort of know that and we glibly say it and we preach it from the platform. But for me in this last year, there's been a real challenge of actually what does it mean to be rooted in an identity that's in God? And for me, it's funny because right at the beginning of this, you said that I was with Zio Church. I'm actually not anymore in a sort of employed way my heart's definitely still quite a lot there but because I have been responding to a call to follow the path to Anglican ordination to and what that for me and and it's something I've been exploring for about five six years but really did become that the moment to do it fell interestingly in the middle of global pandemic which is an interesting time to make any big decision but what that required was for me to step away from almost everything that was dear to me to 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 respond and to be obedient to the call that god had for me and and that required my security to be rooted in something bigger than than the practical those practical things and i think what it made me realize that and just the general challenges of pandemic you know when the world goes crazy when when we face chaos and uncertainty and challenge we as leaders and particularly as as god's leaders as as people leading his church we need to find ways to to secure ourselves to stay calm in a crisis to hold our nerve what does that look like so that we can support other people and help them stay afloat and get through that time and I think it comes through broadening our understanding and the depths of security that we can have from building our lives on that foundation of the love and grace of God but that's a really practical thing that's not just a, a sort of theoretical theological thing that we can have a a nice non-vulnerable conversation about you know when, when it hits the fan so to speak that that's the moment when you have to think well what does that mean to me today what does that mean when i'm called to leave everything behind as so many people in the bible were um in order to to step into god's next thing a new season or to bring something new to bring more of god's light and life and hope to the the people that we're called to You know, the more we can do that, the the more we can enable and release God. So I think that's something that I would that I would advise pondering and exploring. And it's definitely something that for me has been a growth point in this last year.
0: Wonderful. Kate, thank you so much for your wisdom. Thank you so much for your time and thank you for your help in just helping leaders get better. Thank you.
1: Thanks very much. It's been great to chat with you.
0: Well, I really love that conversation with Kate Middleton and the way she spoke so openly about leading in a crisis like the global pandemic we continue to live through and the effects that can have on our mental well-being, how we look after ourselves through it so we can support others. Do check out the resources that Kate has given to us to share on the Leaders Hub at theleadershippodcast.uk. It includes her book, Refuel, How to Balance Life, faith and church which is now on our book list finally it just leads me to say thank you so much for joining us once again on the leadership podcast today with me sim Dendi. if i can ask you to do one thing please if you've enjoyed what you've heard today please share it with others send it to someone on whatsapp or throw out a social media post about it leave us a rating a review you know how it works it would really help us out as we get started to share this with others and we also really want to hear from you the next episode will be more leadership lessons where ed our producer and i will be responding to your thoughts from what kate shared today so please submit your questions on the facebook group we would love to hear from you we hope that this has helped you serve in your leadership because we know that when the leader gets better everyone wins